Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. In this episode, I'm chatting to Eva O'Leary. Eva's work navigates structural and social systems that perpetuate ideologies of fantasy, power and control within American society. She's specifically focused on the impact on young women and their experience in the world. Her work is deeply personal, using her own experiences, memories and journals as the foundation of her practice. We recorded this episode in early April 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic, which brought up many questions about the role and purpose of art and creative work for the two of us. I was excited to talk to Eva about her process, growth, and how art can be both therapy and liberation. Both my parents are painters, and I grew up around art, in and out of their studios a lot, I guess. I don't know. The one thing I could say for at least right now, one thing my mom would always talk about when I was little is that art is a way of making sense of the world uh, around you. And it was almost uh, it was almost religious the way it was thought of in my family. Yeah, to make something really great was kind of the uh, the thing to strive for. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's it's. For a long time, I think, yeah, I guess it was almost like our religion in our house. So I guess that part of, like right now, I guess I'm trying to figure out like how to make sense of what's happening. Yeah. In a way, and the one the one tool I have is, I guess, just through making things. Um, but yeah, no, that's a tricky question. I feel like I have a lot to say on it. Do you have that kind of devotion sensibility about your work now? Is that something that's kind of carried through or do you feel quite differently? Like the the religious kind of aspect? Yeah. No, I think that that's something that kind of carried through. Like growing up, I did, we didn't have TV. I was alone a lot because I was an only child. And my parents, we would, um, my mom's Irish, my dad's American. So we would go to Ireland a lot in the summers and I, yeah, I would spend a lot of time alone. Um, and I would think up ways of kind of occupying my time or I think a lot of like only children might have a similar experience, but like journaling or drawing or making things was always kind of something that was happening 
all the time. So I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Now I think whenever I'm struggling with something, I think it, it ties into the work a lot or it ends up kind of, um, presenting itself in the work in different ways. It's tricky. Cause I think right now it's like, uh, it's so strange. Cause I feel like I have to talk about, um, I'm talking to two classes this week for like, a doing some like artist talks and it's, quite strange to think about talking about work kind of like pre pandemic. It's kind of hard to, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to kind of grapple with that right now is like, I have all these questions and obviously like anxiety. And I feel like right now I have a lot of questions about art and what it can do and how to use it in a helpful way. Not even helpful, but like to process the scale of what's happening. Yeah. I don't know. That's a tricky, that's tricky. (laughs) Have you been making any work in this time or have you just been kind of thinking about it and processing the emotional side of it? I think kind of more the latter. I think I've been doing a lot of processing and the, the anything I've been making, it's been, I feel like my attention span has been, is really short right now. And yeah, um, so many people have said that. Like it's so bad. It's just like so hard to even finish a sentence. I think <laughs> like it's hard to, yeah, hold a thought in my head right now. So I guess I've been trying to be really forgiving with myself. And that's been kind of, that's been challenging. So any kind of art, anything to do with art, like I've been trying to make pictures, but um, they're only really for myself. Like I haven't thought about the possibility of ever showing them. Basically I started making pictures because I've always kept a journal since I was like six or something. I've been kind of a, yeah, I would, I would write almost every day. And it was a way of kind of like, uh, just free writing and letting your thoughts out and not really uh, editing yourself in any way, just kind of a way of processing everything that's going on in your head. But I, when all of this started, it was strange because I've always been able to kind of write, but I wasn't able to. Uh, I just couldn't. So yeah, I started making pictures because it felt like it was a very low pressure <laughs> exercise where I could try to articulate like one small part of the day in some way. And then I would cut, like take the picture and then cut it out and then put it in my journal. So instead of writing, I'm just kind of almost thinking of photography as being an easier tool right now in yeah. some ways. Yeah. I don't know. It's tricky. It is really tricky. It's interesting. I listened to a podcast. It was the New Yorker podcast actually this morning. And I'm, this is really terrible, but I can't remember the person who was talking because I also can't keep anything in my head at the moment but he was essentially somebody who is a risk assessor for large events that affect humanity and he was saying that this is so unprecedented that it is literally ridiculous that to assume that an individual can process what's going on and that an individual can decide what's right and wrong because we don't we just don't have the information everything's changing in real time there's obviously Mm. lots of political things shaping and sort of distorting the media and it's just like ridiculous but and we're we're all of us are just trying to process and and trying to get a handle on it or just trying to treat ourselves with kindness as you said but it's just I don't know I was quite relieved listening to this guy talk because this idea that we can't grasp this is actually quite liberating because I think every day I'm just, I battle with going like indulging in the news and then, you know, feeling distraught and then distracting myself (laughs) by keeping in touch with family or work or whatever it is. And it's just, there's just no right or wrong. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just pure torture for your mental well-being. And my anxiety is like 
off oh, the yeah. chart. I know. Yeah, I know. Same. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's kind of um. That's yeah. That's interesting. What you said about uh, not being able to process it because it's yeah. It's kind of like this global trauma that's happening. Yeah. In real time, and it's not just like a single event. It's stretched out into weeks and weeks, and who knows how long it's gonna continue. But yeah, I guess just survival is like the the thing, and taking each day as it comes. But yeah, it's super overwhelming. It's yeah. It's yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I guess, do things that like feel good, things that are that feel helpful, and to not put a lot of pressure on. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well. I don't know if you feel like this, but growing up kind of studying art history and you would learn about these significant things that happened in the world, which generated a new movement in art or generated a switch in aesthetics. And I just keep thinking about that because like, not saying that that's going to happen, because again, I think that's a ridiculous pressure to put on creative people. But it's just interesting that we kind of grew up learning about that in school. And Mm. then this feels like potentially the biggest event that might happen in our lifetime oh yeah no I mean I've, I was thinking about art um and I was my, I was actually talking to my mom on the phone a few days ago about how um yeah it's just, I guess I was grappling with like yeah how do you even think about art in the face of something so huge and and it's also I guess why I'm having like a hard time thinking about talking about anything that's made kind of before yeah. before this shift and she was saying something about how this is the lens that everything in the future is going to be looked at through or something. She ha- she phrased it in a more poetic way, but she was saying that, yeah, everything would be kind of seen through this lens, at least for the next, in the near future. Mm. But I do also, I've been thinking a lot about, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to change art. I think it is going to change everything. I think it kind of has to, but yeah, I, like lately I was thinking about kind of going back to like, yeah, what feels good or what feels like it's helping and what versus what's hurting and I feel like there are certain core things that are changing at least in my own head it's just kind of like asking what would be helpful right now or like what would be like I felt like my brain was started going into more of a like I was thinking more about like collaborating with people or like reaching out to the community and working with other people because I was so sick of kind of thinking about myself it felt kind of selfish in some way but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have no obviously no idea what's going to happen. Mm. But I think it's definitely going to change art for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you were talking about journaling because that feels like that's always been really important to your practice as well. And I can't remember whether it was when you were at FOAM or just an interview I've read with you, but you talk about continually referring to those journals when you're mm-hmm. making work about that time in your life and kind of so much of your work is rooted in your own experiences and your memories mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that and the importance of those like genuine kind of authentic documents because it's not something that everybody uses in their work yeah yeah no they've always been really important and I think in the last few years they've become more important to me but I've always yeah I've always kept journals as like a I don't, I don't even know if I should like therapeutic. <laughs> I don't know if that's like why, but it's just needing to kind of keep track of, of things. And I think, I think my memory is somewhat patchy. Um, so at least recently it's going back and like kind of reliving certain things through the journals has been really important because a lot of the work that I've been making, at least up until now has been working with younger women and 
like, uh, yeah, I was working with a lot of girls between 11 and 14 for a while that were all growing up in my hometown. So like I would go back and look at kind of the journals that I was keeping around then just to kind of, yeah, to kind of re-enter that headspace and remember all of the anxieties and everything. And yeah, I found it to be really helpful. And then I guess, yeah, I did the same thing when I started working on the the project that I started uh, almost two years ago, I guess now. But I would go back and I would look at journals that I kept when I was, I think, between like 18 and uh, 22. And kind of, yeah, I don't know. It was a way for me to, I think, reprocess all of those things. Because I think when you're when you're going through them all, it's, yeah, it's hard to know kind of what's happening or to have kind of that distance to be able to kind of analyze it or try to understand it in a deeper way. But yeah, I would go back and kind of uh, re-experience all of those things from a a distance. That must be quite intense, like sort of whether it's like the physical, the literal or like the emotional weight of the the subject matter that you're working through. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely was and is really intense. And I don't think that I always acknowledge that like in as I was doing it, I think. And I think as yeah, time has gone on. I think I'm becoming a little bit more aware of the kind of, yeah, the emotional side effects from doing those types of things. But yeah, no, it's, it, I think, especially looking at, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's all, it's all pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> especially like uh, a lot of the subject matter in the, the work that I was doing um, with the, the young women in my hometown who are at the local college, a lot of it has to do with sexual violence and that sort of thing. So I'd be spending a lot of time thinking about that and going back. And a lot of people that I knew growing up had experienced certain things uh, I had also. And so like going back and re-experiencing all of those things and rereading like the language that was used to kind of explain certain things away, that was all definitely pretty intense. I was going to say, so the work we're kind of talking around is Happy Valley, right? No, I think... Happy Valley, I don't know. I mean, I feel like all of the work is kind of, there's a continuation. Happy Valley uh, was the first project that I made in, I guess, coming out of grad school. But I was also talking about a bit about the project I made afterwards, which was Spitting Image, where I was working with girls from this town. And then also, yeah, I guess the project that I was working, everything is about Happy Valley or like it comes out of Happy Valley. But yeah, no, definitely. Can you talk a little bit about the origin of the first project? Yeah. So I guess when I was in grad school, I, yeah, I guess I was making all these pictures. Um, I was in New Haven and it was really hard to articulate why I I needed to make them. Like an image would pop into my head and it would just, it would feel personal and, and it would feel like it was in a response to some sort of something I had been kind of like questioning or struggling with or an anxiety I had been feeling but it was really hard to kind of put language to uh, fully explain to like to others or to the to the faculty, for example, like why I was making what I was making. But I think around that time, I also started to realize that a lot of the the work, a lot of what I, I was thinking about was somewhat autobiographical and it was all rooted in the town and the culture uh, in the town where I grew up and spent my teenage years. And I think towards the end of my time in grad school, I started to realize it became a bit clearer kind of what the project was about or kind of where it was coming from. And yeah, basically the town where I grew up is, uh, it's called State College, Pennsylvania. That's its official title, but it's its nickname is Happy Valley. 
and it is a like a major uh, football college party. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's a major party town. And growing up, there was always the image that was kind of projected out, which was this kind of place of eternal youth. Everyone is between eighteen and twenty-two. It's really fun. It's just like partying all the time. It has the like I think it's the fourth largest stadium in the world. When I was growing up, I think it was the second largest. I think North Korea had the big like a bigger stadium. But basically, it's this tiny town where like football kind of rules everything. The economy, the economy is just yeah, it relies on this kind of this image. Mm. And growing up, there was a lot of it was weird because you'd experience the the outward like the projection, um, which was kind of yeah, Happy Valley as this uh, white picket fence, apple pie kind of a place. But you would also experience all of these other things that were kind of under the surface and weren't really acknowledged at all uh, by anyone. And so, yeah, there was this weird kind of conflicting, I don't know, this, yeah, this strange ex- experience of growing up in a place that on the one hand projects this image of kind of um, this glossy exterior, but then you witness all of these kind of horrible things happening or like uh, your experience doesn't align with that very well. So when I was in grad school, I was thinking a lot about, yeah, like that, how to make an image that kind of has that gloss and that kind of seductive quality, but then might also have this underlying feeling of unease and also how that connects to a lot of things in the U.S. generally as this kind of like mythology, uh, but also in advertising as well. But yeah. I guess that's Happy Valley. <laughs> there's so there's just so many layers to it. It is an incredible body of work. And it's interesting, actually, one of the things I was curious about is that it's talking so much about navigating these sort of structural and social systems that perpetuate, as you said, like these ideologies of fantasy, power and control and gender dynamics. And mm-hmm. obviously there's been some years between you making this work and when you were living in that area and experiencing sort of being exposed to these things uh-huh. and I wondered if when you were making the work and when you continue to make work around these themes if you feel like things have changed for the young women and young people in these communities or are things kind of almost exactly as you left them <laughs> that's an interesting question um so I'm actually living in my hometown now and I have been I guess I so that was one of the things I think when I moved back here. So yeah, when I left grad school, I wanted to start something new. And it's a, it's a long story, but I I started working with um, girls between uh, 11 and 14 uh, on this project called Spitting Image. And then after I finished that project, I was kind of going back and forth between New York and uh, State College, like this town. And I wasn't fully living here yet. But after I finished that project, I felt like I just kind of had to come back to the town and I felt like I had just been circling it for a long time and I had been making work that felt almost like indirectly about this place. Like I couldn't handle just coming back and actually looking at it straight on. And so I basically just decided I would start making work actually in the town. And I was commuting between New York and here for about, I guess, a year uh, or maybe six months. And then at a certain point, I decided I would just sublet my room in New York and my studio and I would just kind of go all in. And so I rented a house. Right now, I'm living on Frat Row in my hometown. Wow. Um, which is, like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's been interesting. I kind of, yeah, I just, I just, 
I was, I went for, I was, for a long time, I think I was avoiding it. And then I ended up just kind of right in the center of everything. So yeah, I, I wrote about it a little bit when I, when I first moved back, I think that was one of the things I noticed was that a lot of things hadn't changed at all. Right. And that was one of the, the harder things I think is meeting a lot of, I work with a lot of young women. So meeting a lot of young women who it's just, it just feels like this kind of like perpetual cycle of kind of seeing them experience the same things that my friends and I experienced and seeing, yeah, this kind of pattern happen uh, and realizing it's not, it wasn't just kind of a, a fluke that there's some sort of larger kind of pattern that's, that's happening. But that was definitely kind of one of the things that I noticed and wrote about a lot when I first moved back. Do your subjects kind of understand the work you're making in terms of, are they, you know, are they conscious of this? Because I remember being, you know, a teenager and, and it's only now that I can really see some of the things where, you know, that were off and that the, the things that women go through or young girls go through, mm-hmm. which they really shouldn't have to. Right. Um, but I, I, I was completely ignorant to it at the time. I kind of, I kind of bought into bro culture rather than yeah. having a reaction to it because it was the yeah. norm, right? Yeah, and, totally. and I just, I just wonder, you know, obviously your subjects will look at your work. They might not necessarily interrogate it in a meaningful way, but they, they're conscious of your work. That it's easy for them to find out information about you. I know you're a really open person. Um, I just wonder. Yeah, if they feel cognizant of their environment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, they do. I think it's different for every project. Like when I was working with um, the girls between 11 and 14, I think my big thing, I guess, has been to be like honest with the people that I'm working with and to try to explain explain to them exactly what why I'm working on something. Yeah, in a pretty open way, under the assumption that they'll probably they'll probably get it. And I don't know, I guess for me, it makes me feel better when I, when I feel like there's that kind of like openness. It's also kind of a chance to talk about whatever the thing is. And that often is really cathartic and kind of amazing. And that's uh, like, you, you come away from the shoot just feeling like really, really good, I guess, like having those types of conversations. But yeah, so like with that project, I, it was, uh, I was photographing girls uh, through this two-way mirror. So they were looking at their own reflection, but we would talk before and in the project description that I would send out and like send to parents, it would talk a lot about, yeah, self-image and kind of like selfie culture and all of the pressure that girls feel around their image and the construction of their image and how this project was kind of about that. So we would talk about it. And I found that a lot of the girls, like it was definitely a topic that they really wanted to talk about and like definitely understood. So I think, yeah, so there's, there's that. But I think also the project that I'm working on here, I think is a little bit different. And I think talking about it is a little different. Like, for, for example, uh, I'm working with one young woman. I guess she's kind of like my main contact and has been for a while. And I think it's it's it, it's pretty interesting now because when I first met her, she was a freshman in college, and I really wanted to photograph like her whole experience here. And and it was it was a little frustrating trying to get in in contact with her and her friends for a while. Because they were just like kind of, you know, they just started college and it was exciting. Yeah. Like They're fully absorbed in their social groups. And like, I don't know, they didn't want to deal with this like weird photographer who just like kept showing up and like with this big camera wanting to take like pictures. I don't know. So I totally get it. But it's it's it was interesting because 
yeah, so like there are those photographs of her and her friends. And then it's, I guess it's been like two years now. And it's the longest I think I've worked like consistently with someone, which is really interesting also because she's kind of like, well, we all kind of like change, I think over time, but she's changed also. So it's, I guess for a minute, when we first started working together, like this year, for example, I contacted her. It's like a long story, but basically I contacted her and I, we had kind of, we hadn't worked together for maybe six months, but I reached out to her again and I was kind of like, Hey, like there's another element to the project. I'd love to talk to you about it. And she came over because I think I was like understanding what I was doing, I think this year and more in a way that I don't think I had fully understood before. Like it was a lot of just kind of uh, like trusting intuition and like following impulses and just trusting that there was a reason behind them, I guess, which is also like hugely like anxiety inducing, I think, when making work, because you really want to know like why you want to have a reason why you're like you're going through all of this work and I don't know. But yeah, so for like a year and a half, it was really kind of, yeah, I didn't have like a concrete, like trying to write a paragraph about what exactly I'm doing and why it was super challenging. But I think this year I kind of just, it all clicked in a way. So I invited her over to my house and like studio because I wanted just to talk to her about collaborating in a more, like a more consistent way. And kind of bring her into the project and have her be more of a collaborator. But I was totally, I was pretty terrified at first. I was kind of, I was super scared to talk to her because part of the project in this town is like, uh, no one really acknowledges the, the kind of the, the bad side of it. Like no one yeah. really wants to talk about some of these things that are happening or people kind of just pretend it's not there and it doesn't exist and it's not real. And I have this fear of like, talking about it will make me some sort of traitor or something. Like, I don't know. I had all of this anxiety about like trying to talk to her and her thinking I'm just like crazy and just really negative or something. So she came over and I, it was kind of amazing actually, because I, I was really trying to be cautious about how I, what language I used and how I talked about the town. Cause I have a lot of like personal history here and I didn't want to kind of, didn't want it to be too intense, but it was really strange because I I said maybe a few sentences about kind of what I said earlier about like how there's this uh, kind of surface kind of gloss about this place and this kind of projection, this fantasy that the town relies on for to bring people into the restaurants and to, yeah, for just the economy. But there's this, there's all these other elements that like no one really talks about and are pretty destructive. And like, yeah, the gender dynamics in this town are also really complicated and problematic in all sorts of ways. But anyway, so I didn't want to like fully launch into my spiel about this place. And like, I didn't want to kind of freak her out. So I was trying to be really cautious about it and thoughtful. Uh, But I basically said one sentence, like maybe a sentence and a half. And it was kind of a great because she interrupted and basically said all of the things that I was like, holding back and like trying not to say and she was so relieved because she really wanted to talk about all of all of these things and like she yeah she had been thinking the same things and she had experienced a lot of uh or witnessed a lot of problematic interactions and and yeah she had also experienced a lot of frustration trying to tell people or talk about it and had a similar experience of people either you know being shut down in a certain way so with her I think it was kind of this yeah, that was like the most amazing thing, I think, because it really validated. I felt kind of crazy a little bit, I think, for a while. I felt like I was just like a leech and I couldn't, I just like couldn't leave this town for some reason. I just like kept coming back and like, you know, part of me was just like, come on, get over, get over it. Um, Just like 
get on with your life. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But then having her kind of like vocalize a lot of the same things that I was thinking about, it really validated why I was working on the project. And and also then I showed her some of the pictures that we had made originally, like back when she was a freshman. And her response was really, um, yeah, it was really amazing. She was She was saying how she just started talking about her experience as a freshman and a lot of the difficult things that she had witnessed and experienced. And and she also expressed kind of like regret. She was like, I wish that you would have been able to photograph more of that time because it was really problematic and I didn't see it at the time, but like I can see it in this picture and I can see it looking back. Um, so for her, it was interesting to see kind of her, yeah, her, her progression through college kind of. And I don't know, like, I guess I, I'm always a little nervous to show people their pictures because I don't know. But yeah, it's just like, you know, you want them to like them. You want them to like the picture. And like, yeah. I'm always a bit scared, but it was really interesting working with her because she, I don't know, it's like, a, a, it's nice to have a lot of the things you're thinking about be validated by the subject that you're photographing, who's also experiencing a lot of them. I don't know. Yeah, it's really powerful. That must have been a really intense but positive experience. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. I was interested, actually, because you've talked a little bit about this already and you're quite open about it when you're talking about the work. But if it sounds like a lot of the work is in some ways kind of a personal sort of salve, like for you, um, revisiting and unpicking your own experiences and kind of being able to process them and express them. But I wondered how much of the work you think of as like having a sort of political or kind of social agenda in terms of bringing these issues, which, you know, even a decade later are still being brushed under the carpet in many Mm -hmm. ways around the world, like violence against women and these power dynamics, you know, they're just in, in the context of a university, like there's, there's more spotlight on it, but it's, it's still not something that is being addressed in a meaningful way. And right. so, yeah, I was curious, like, if you think about the work as political or if that is not, yeah, on your agenda at all. At least up until now, yeah. Starting each project has, it's usually kind of started from like a place of being really frustrated about something or really anxious about something and having some sort of experience that I don't have the words to fully explain either to myself or to other people and being kind of, yeah, stuck on something that I can't shake. Or the other side is like, if there's something that I feel like people just aren't willing to talk about, or like, won't acknowledge. It's like, yeah, a certain experience that I've had that I just feel like people don't want to acknowledge or talk about it. And so in making the work, I think it's a way of trying to understand um, those experiences in a more complex way. And a lot of the time, it's, it's through like working with young women who are currently kind of experiencing them, these things. And so almost like I'm re-experiencing them, but through the people I'm working with. And in a lot of ways, like it is really helpful because um, a lot of the time, like certain themes in the work are things that are pretty isolating. Like there are things that you just don't share with anyone or you kind of like keep to yourself. So when you end up working with other people and you start talking about, um, certain experiences or feelings that you've had and they also kind of relate it's really liberating so I think like I guess uh the political side of it is is that kind of I end up feeling kind of liberated through working on the projects and I think that's maybe kind of the goal I just not like a I don't start 
with that in mind. I don't start with like a goal. It's always just kind of problem solving and kind of feeling it out as I go. But I do think that, I mean, yeah, there's definitely like a political side to the work that I've made. But I think a lot of it, yeah, comes from this kind of personal place of just feeling either having a lot of anxiety around certain things or experiences uh, or a lot of questions or feeling like it's something that I just can't really talk about or like it's not okay socially to talk about and just wanting to figure out to find a language, I guess, to pick those things apart. So like that's what's so powerful about seeing your work in a gallery context because if you strip away the political systems of the art world and the institutions and all of that stuff, you're essentially taking a really potent subject matter and putting it in a white box and so it comes alive in a really intense way and I think a lot of these issues are talked about in the media but you know there's so much going on in the world that it's impossible to like keep focus whereas actually bringing them into a white space is incredibly clarifying for them when I've seen your work in a gallery space it just come it just it punches you in the face but in like a (laughs) a beautiful and intense way, which is kind of your aesthetic, which I'd love to talk about in a minute. But yeah, it's like, it really, yeah, it just helps elevate those subjects and emotions in a really powerful way that for me, not all photography does. Yeah, that's, I mean, thank you. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's, it's strange to see work in those more like formal spaces. I think generally it's, it's yeah, I don't know. It's hard from, from my perspective I guess to see it like right now I'm kind of surrounded by chaos like my studio there's just like prints everywhere so yeah I don't know it's, I mean it's it's nice to kind of go through the final steps of like yeah figuring out how to how to show how to show yeah a body of work in a way that makes sense but yeah I don't know that's interesting yeah it's a really powerful experience I think sometimes you just like to see the work up close and see detail and like examine it but mm-hmm. when it can take on an a sort of heightened sense of meaning it feels like okay this is why the gallery is not redundant and and actually a really powerful space to be in um maybe that's just my jaded opinion about a lot of work that I see but yeah I just have quite a visceral reaction yeah no thank you um I guess like one thing I do think about a little bit especially with I guess photography um just because there is so much of it online and it's almost yeah I mean with Instagram and everything it's it's almost like a language of its own at this point. Like people communicate through pictures mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. But I do think that, yeah, I mean, if figuring out how to show something, I think that it has to, there has to be some reason to make people go and look at something in a gallery. I think like it has to look better than it does on a screen or something or else kind of what's the point? Like in my head, there has to be something different about it. Yeah. So I guess yeah, a lot of the detail, yeah, I just want the prints to, I guess, have another quality that you can't really get on online do you enjoy that process of showing work do you enjoy the kind of end part of oh god um (laughs) no I don't don't think so (laughs) I think most people say they don't to be honest that's one thing that yeah it's fascinating yeah I mean I think it's satisfying to see something finished and kind of a bit more polished um especially if it's something that's been living inside your head for a while but yeah I think everything else I mean I think I'm a pretty I'm like a fairly quiet introverted person and so yeah a lot of the stuff that comes along with like showing work is anxiety inducing and yeah it's not like the goal I think like the meaningful part I think is definitely kind of in the making of it and like having these moments where you feel like you have this new clarity or like interacting with the people that you're working with and 
feeling like, yeah, like, like you have some sort of connection or like under mutual understanding and like those types of exchanges are really meaningful and really powerful. And I think that they like, I don't know, it just feels like growth. Like it feels like some sort of deeper level of understanding. And that's like, I don't know. It's like you well, started that. I guess. Yeah. 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 So that's, I guess where, yeah, my focus is, it's not really in the showing of it, which is also, I guess it's important too, in just like sharing the work eventually with humans. Like I think the work that I'm making now, I think for a while I was, I think, I don't even know if it was just like a coping mechanism or something just to let me like, just to be a little bit freer in what I was photographing. But I think for a while I didn't really think about, like, I didn't think I would ever show it to any, anyone ever. So wow. it, was, it was just like, I'm just making this thing and I don't think I'm ever going to actually show it. But, and then I guess this year, I, I think I came to a, some sort of realization where I was like, okay, I've been working on this thing for like two years. There's a good chance that I might have to show it to someone <laughs> at some point. Like I can't just hide out here forever. But I think when I'm working on things, I think if I just tell myself like, yeah, I'm not going to show it to anyone that it, I can be, I can feel a little less pressure and then I can do weirder things. Like I can let myself make a picture that might fail uh, or might succeed. But if you have that kind of added pressure, I think it's a bit harder to make like the bad picture that yeah. might end up being good. <laughs> I don't know. That makes total sense. How do you feel about editorial? Because you shoot editorial now and again. Is that something you enjoy? Yeah. I mean, I do. I think like I've learned a lot from working uh, editorially. I think like one, I think it's exciting because you end up meeting people that you normally wouldn't meet or like finding yourself in situations that you wouldn't ever normally end up in. So that part is kind of great. It feels like a bit of like an adventure a lot of the time. And it's always nice whenever you get an assignment that really aligns with something you're thinking about in your work or yeah, it feels kind of like research in a way. But yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoy it. I think like... Is it easy for you to navigate that difference between your art practice and your editorial practice? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty... I mean, the, the major difference is like, you know, you, you're someone is telling you like what you need to focus on for the editorial. And with, your, with my own work, it's just, it's a lot more... I think a lot of it is pretty like trusting in a feeling and just like moving towards it without really knowing... I guess like that's yeah. a major part of it. So there it's really, it's different. And there's a lot of anxiety, I think, in, in the kind of working without a uh, concrete uh, explanation for everything that you're photographing. But yeah. yeah, I think, I don't know. I think that there's definitely a way to kind of, yeah, differentiate between them. I love the beauty con work you did for the New Yorker a few years ago. That felt like oh. a great commission for you in terms yeah. of thematics, but also just, visually and aesthetically it felt like the perfect marriage I love yeah I loved that shoot I think that was like it was what like yeah it was really fun I I loved that shoot I would do it again like I would I would love to do it again it was a really yeah I don't know I think that's one of my favorite editorial experiences I've had for sure mm. it felt yeah like it definitely felt kind of like research in a way or yeah also kind of getting to like was, there were pictures I just wanted to make, like for, yeah, kind of for myself anyway, because it was a environment that just felt really, um, it's just, yeah, fascinating. But yeah, no, I loved, I love that assignment. Yeah, it's such a good one. I'll link it in the show notes so people can see. It's a great, great project. 
Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I know you've got strong feelings about the pressures that are put upon artists to be pumping out new projects all the time and, you know, how social media perpetuates all of that. I was curious kind of how you get into your own creative process and like how you work in terms of getting into the right zone for you and and creating space for that in what is a hectic world for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky, I think. Yeah, just this kind of pressure, even financially, to be kind of like reminding people that you exist and like that you're productive, I think. It's really tied to, I don't know, capitalism in, in some way. Um, and I think it's an, it's important. Um, also, I don't know, like show, sharing work is also important. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's also tricky. There's like a fine line between sharing work because you just kind of, you want to connect with people. Uh, and then sharing work because you feel kind of obligated and there's this pressure uh, to be yeah, churning out tons of things all the time. Where I think in the past, you know, you could work on something for like a year or more, several years, and that wouldn't be abnormal. It wouldn't be weird to just be working on one project over a longer period of time. And now I feel like, I don't know, things have just like sped up in a certain way. I think I was a while ago, I was uh, more comfortable with sharing a lot of things online. But then I started feeling like there was some sort of pressure. And I guess a lot of the work that I was making out here, I kind of, I didn't want to share it, I think. I just wanted to kind of keep it a little bit closer to me until it felt like the right time, if ever. <laughs> but then I also felt like in withholding, you know, images or something, I felt like I was also almost sab like sabotaging myself in some way. Like I was not doing the thing that was expected or was like the professional thing to do. That's crazy though, isn't it? But in some ways, because obviously it sounds like you're very attuned to your intuition and very attuned to your emotional connection with the work that you're making. And it seems like you actually have really good instincts. So the fact that you had this instinct to keep it private, but the pressure from the outside world is just to expose everything all the time. It's just mm -hmm. kind of depressing. I think a lot of yeah. people feel like that, right? And it's just like the absolute antithesis of what making good work is and and, and what the, the joy of being an artist and the joy of being a creative is almost that experience of making the work, as you said before. It's just yeah. so sad that like capitalism and fucking Mark Zuckerberg make you feel I like know. you need to. I think it's really tricky because like on the one hand, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot, maybe more like recently, where it's like maybe actually more like like since, I don't know, being in quarantine or something or like in lockdown, I think maybe I've been thinking about it, it in a different way where, yeah, I mean, there's two kind of conflicting modes of sharing things. The one is kind of wanting to connect with like an audience or a group of people that you're really interested in connecting with and communicating things with and like sharing and being vulnerable. And like, like, I think that's a big part of the work too is our, my work is like, going to these places or experiences that I have either had like a lot of shame kind of around or like feeling like it wasn't okay to talk about or like share. And so on the one hand, part of me just wants to talk about all of it and share all of it because part of part of the the process of making the work is kind of so liberating for me is just being able to kind of talk about those things with the people I'm working with. So part of me is kind of like, well, there's there's that purpose, which is, you know, it can be a communication tool mm -hmm. and a really powerful one. So there's that. But then also, yeah, the flip side, 
capitalism and like, <laughs> like, yeah, all of, all of those things that are just, I don't know. It's really hard to, it's just like really manipulative. Like I think a lot of the social media systems, I guess I just feels like even going in with like good intentions, I think it, it can still, you can still end up having like feeling the pressure to um, be churning out images without that kind of it's like I don't know yeah it's it's, tough, it's tricky to talk about but like part of me wants to feel really kind of like I can share anything online and the other part wonders if that's just like me feeling pressured to share and then like convincing myself that there's this other part of it <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that makes sense it, there's a lot of complex sort of dynamics at play for sure yeah I, re- I recorded a podcast with Kimberly Drew, she said something really powerful that I still think about nearly every day. And she said, you have to think about your readiness to engage with social media. Like, are you in a good state of mind today? Is that something you should be doing? Because it can be a powerful tool, as you said, and it can be a great community builder if you're in the right frame of mind, but equally like using it every day, if you're not, you know, feeling great is not going to be good for the soul. And I just thought that was a really good, like, just I don't know, yeah. like, a, like a mantra to think about in the morning before you pick up your phone, like before you've even done anything and said hello to your partner, which sometimes I feel myself doing and hate myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite a powerful and simple thing yeah. to think about. I've been doing something yet where I try to not look at my phone. Um, I have it on airplane mode until until I have like one cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> I was doing something where I, like I had a whole like ritual for a minute where I would have one cup of coffee, like walk around the block write and then like make a list of things I I should do before I would on airplane mode my phone yeah um and that was really good but I wasn't able to actually keep it up that was was a great idea it felt healthy but like yeah I don't know waking up now and like looking at like the news first thing is definitely not no it's not good I think you should bring that back I feel Mm -hmm. feel like that was yeah a smart decision I also am going to steal that for myself that's a very good idea yeah, no, it was really nice. Like for the, I don't know how long I kept it up, but it felt really healthy and good. And, um, it did make a difference. Cause I think when you do look at your phone first thing, you're, I mean, the, your cortisol, what is it? Cortisol? Yeah. Is that stress? Yeah. I think, um, I've heard that, yeah, your stress hormones just spike. So that's my like one cup of coffee rule. Cause like if I have one cup of coffee, at least maybe I'll be a little more like, you know, if I have a stressful emotion, I can like talk myself out of it. Um, but before coffee, there's just like no way like, I'll be able to. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eva. It was so great to talk to you. And thank you so much for sharing about your work and your process. It was really, really fascinating. No, thank you. It was nice to talk. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake. And design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.